everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. It is a fantastic sporting weekend coming up with some fantastic action all around the globe, northern and southern hemisphere. Let us start with the big one. Now, interesting, um, in Auckland at Eden Park, it was a very, very heated, to say the least, exchange between the mighty Springboks of Vaynan Klaassen and uh, the All Blacks of 1981. I remember it as if it was pretty much yesterday by virtue of the fact that in those days there weren't floodlights like they are now. So the four o'clock in the morning starts was something that we got up, we sat with our parents, in my case with my late father, and we made a cup of coffee and maybe a fried egg and some toast and we prepared ourselves to watch the game of rugby. Those days, Vainan Klaassen, Springboks, Nas Buerter in the side. Uh, there were some fantastic players uh, in uh, that 1981 Springbok rugby team. And it was, of course, in the heart of apartheid here in South Africa. The tour had been disrupted by anti-government protests by violence in the streets in New Zealand, something very, very uncommon. So what the uh, local police did was they basically closed off the entire stadium from the public, except, of course, for ticket-carrying spectators, and made it a fortress, the uh, Eden Park uh, rugby venue, which is, of course, also used for cricket. That's Incidentally, in 1992, where South Africa was so terribly beaten by New Zealand's Mark Greatbatch in the World Cup. That's another story for another day. Just thought I'd drop that in there. And as much as the police thought that they had solved all the problems of the world by not allowing the protesters anywhere near the ground, they didn't think of that a light aeroplane would buzz over Auckland's Eden Park and drop Flower bombs, no, not the roses type or the water lilies type, the ones that you use to make bread. And uh, in fact, the irony of the situation, and we can laugh about it now, of course, because the world has changed so much, well, or has it? Um, we had a all black prop, Gary Knight, floored by one of those flower bombs, but it was completely off guard, police rather, caught completely off guard. And that was the context for a stunt on what was the most deadly, divisive rugby tour to this day in New Zealand's history. The Conservative government and the New Zealand Rugby Football Union were determined the tour would proceed, arguing politics and sport should not mix. There was an incident in Waikato as well, where protesters actually called that game off. And the captain of the All Blacks at the time, Graham Murray, made himself unavailable for selection. And he said, you've got to be able to look at yourself in the mirror. That was, of course, 1981. He received hate mail over his decision and said members of his own family regarded him as an idiot. The divisions were even more stark on the streets of New Zealand where demonstrators invaded the pitch in Waikato in Hamilton, as I mentioned. That game had to be cancelled. They uh, had battened charges the police on their own crowds outside Parliament in Wellington, in what became known as the Battle of Molesworth Street. Protesters donned motorcycle helmets and makeshift body armour, arming themselves with clubs and hats. 
My goodness, how things have changed. 67 protesters were hospitalized, hundreds more faced charges and six months jails terms for some, including the pilot who flew the flower bomb mission in his single engine Cessna. However, that was then. And this is now. Tomorrow morning, the Springboks will run on and face the famous Haka, most probably as slight favorites against the All Blacks, which is a title you don't necessarily want on your shoulders, especially when you play in the All Black neighborhood. Mount Smart Stadium is the venue. The good news is that this morning, New Zealand time, which was in the middle of the night, South African time, the Springbok captain for this test match was there on the captain's run. And that of is Gilbert Etzebeth in place of Sia Kalise. A little bit about the stadium. It's not going to be at Eden Park. The Mount Smart Stadium is a multi-purpose stadium. It's the home ground of the New Zealand Warriors of the National Rugby League. And it's hosting the Rugby Union match. It got lots of seats, 25,000. I guess you could put 100,000 in for a match between uh, Springboks and the All Blacks. So, Springbok team, no problems. With regards to the captain, Edspeth, he will run out after the death of his father, South Africa's veteran number eight, Dwayne Fumilin, who led the team against the Australians, is amongst the replacements with six forwards and two backs on the back bench. Tomorrow's test is considered a probable title decider. Uh, Sam Kane is anticipating a tough clash. Well, that's an understatement, Mr. Kane, because he can be guaranteed the physicality of the Springboks and the running prowess and the power of the All Blacks should make for an absolutely magnificent game. It's five minutes past nine tomorrow morning, Saturday, and that is the time of the kickoff for the match. Let me give you the teams. Um, the very well-balanced New Zealand side, Ben Barrett at fullback, Will Jordan and Mark Tenia are the wings, uh, Rieko Ioni and Jordi Barrett, another Barrett in the centre positions. Chimoanga is at uh, fly half and Aaron Smith at scrum half. The forwards, Adia Sabir, Sam Kane and Shannon Frizzle. A third Barrett, Scott uh, Locks with Brody Retallick. Tyrell Lomax, Cody Taylor and Ethan De Groot are the front row. On the bench, uh, unpronounceables. Samisoni Tuakahoa, Tamaiti Williams, Nepo Loalara, Tapua Vai, Dalton Papai, Finlay Christie, Braden Inor, and Caleb Clark. So that is your all black side that will stand at the uh, halfway line around nine o'clock tomorrow morning after the anthems doing the haka. Springboks will face firstly the haka and then the New Zealand onslaught will be at fullback, Billy LaRue. Back on the wing, Cheslin, Colby, and Makazole, Mapipi, with the centre-pairing of Lukanya, um, Damien Daledi. Most probably, those are the team that would start if this was a World Cup final. Damien Willems at fly-half, I'm not 100% certain. Obviously, Andre Pollard is still injured, so perhaps if this was a World Cup final and he was fitting, most probably would be starting. Although, Mani Lubbock had a fantastic game last week. Fuck the clap, the scrum-off should be the... Man, who will be there if this was a World Cup final. Then, 
Um, most probably not one of these loose forwards will actually play if this was a World Cup final, but they are playing tomorrow. Jasper Bissa, Franco Mostak, and Kocher Smith. The reason I say that is because most probably uh, Jacques Nienaber's first choice would be Asir Kalise, Dwayne Vermeulen, and Peter Steph Toy loose forward combination. Then the captain, Eben Etzebet and Lord Diacha, possibly the two best locks in the world on form. And then you can choose one of any six uh, in our front row. Tomorrow it's France Malherba Bongi and Bonambi and Stephen Kitchoff. And then just listen to this <laughs> for a bench. The three, four front row men on the bench, Malcolm Marks, Thomas the Tank, Toy and Vincent Koch, all three could start. There's also no Trevor and Yakani yet. And then Archie Stamon, Peter Steph to Toy, Dwayne Fabiola, me. The rest of the, the, the forwards with Grant Williams and Mani Lubbock making a split on the bench. So tomorrow morning, 9.05, it's the big one. The All Blacks against the Springboks. That's not the only rugby tomorrow, let me uh, remind you, because uh, the other game in this uh, rugby championship uh, sees the two sides that were both comprehensively beaten last uh, weekend, Australia and Argentina. Now, this is going to be a really, really tough one for Eddie Jones in particular and Michael Checker. They say Australia and Argentina are both teams that are working progress. But with the clock ticking to the World Cup, both coaches desperately to win when the teams meet tomorrow. Jones, Wallabies and Checker's Pumas suffered heavy defeats. I mentioned the All Blacks and the Springboks. It makes their clash at Sydney's Parramatta Stadium a must-win to boost their confidence ahead of the World Cup now. Both of these guys have had much coaching experience. I guess that one of them is going to be a little bit disappointed tomorrow. That, of course, is the second game of the day. So if you are planning on going anywhere tomorrow, make your plans for after 12.30 or so, because there's lots of international rugby for you to watch. Okay, now I'm just going to transgress away slightly from the... um, Weekend's activities, because it is a Friday evening show, and there was some very, very big news last night, and that is the draw has taken place for the next FIFA Soccer World Cup, and the history-making 2022 World Cup semi-finalist Morocco must win a group that they're in that includes Zambia to ensure qualification for Canada, Mexico, and the United States in 2026. Congo, Brazzaville, Tanzania, Niger and Eritrea complete the group after the draw last night in Abidjan, the Ivory Coast's commercial capital. Morocco became the first African, and it's not just African, but Arab country to reach the World Cup semi-finals in Qatar last year before losing to France and finishing fourth. They have lots of European-based stars in their team. So what about Groups were long-time rivals, Nigeria and South Africa, could you believe, have been paired together again. It seems forever that we're in a group with them. And with Zimbabwe, who just a couple of days ago had their FIFA ban lifted so they can come back into international competition. So what are the groups like? Well, I can tell you right now that there's some very tough ones. Let's just go through the uh, A, B and C, which are the three big groups. Egypt, top of that group, Burkina Faso, Guinea-Bissau, Sierra Leone, Ethiopia, and Djibouti. Then Group B, uh, Mauritania, Togo, Sudan, and South Sudan. Then Group C, Nigeria, South Africa, Benin, Zimbabwe, Rwanda, and Lesotho. 
Group D, Cameroon, Cape Verde Islands, Angola, Libya, Eswatini, and Mauritius. Group E, Morocco, Zambia, Congo, Tanzania, Nigeria, Eritrea, as I've told you. Group F sees the Cote d'Ivoire, that's the Ivory Coast, Gabon, Kenya, the Gambia, Burundi, and Seychelles, the Gambia. What a lovely place that is. And then Group G, Algeria, Guinea, Uganda, Mozambique, Botswana, and Somalia, with Group H seeing Tunisia, Equatorial Guinea, Namibia, Malawi, Liberia, Sartoma, and Principe. And Group I, Mali, Ghana, Madagascar, the Central African Republic, Comoros, and Chad. So, how does it work? Well, when you're a group, you're in the next World Cup. End of story. No drama, no issues, no nothing. You go. Each group winner qualifies automatically. Then, the best four runners-up will enter the playoffs. The winner goes into the Inter-Confederation playoff, and two places there will be up for grabs. The match days one and two will be played in November, with a further two rounds next year, and then six rounds in 2025. Now, only in Africa. <laughs> the draw was scheduled for Wednesday, but was delayed 24 hours, and nobody gave any official explanation whatsoever. But Gianni Infantino says the kickoff of the new eight-team African Football League, which was confirmed by FIFA presidents, made the announcement at the General Assembly last night. Competition has been drastically scaled down from the original proposal of 2014s. Not much is known of the competition until over three months before it's set to kick off, with Cap yet to formally confirm which teams will participate. Does that surprise you? It shouldn't, because that's just how it is here in Africa, especially with African sport. Right, continuing on today and through the weekend is the crickets. The West Indies are playing India. Oh, my goodness, it's like watching paints dry compared to the Ashes when Australia and uh, England have, have clashed. I mean, seriously, the West Indies bowled out for 150 in their first innings, and Ravi Chandran Ashwin, he was the uh, the big star of the um, of the bowling. 24 was three balls, five for 60. He, of course, was left out of the World Test Championship. Um, well, it took... The uh, West Indies, 64 overs and three balls to score their 150. All of us, uh, only uh, Athanasi got 47, new name for me. Jason Holder, 18. Craig Braithwaite, 20. And then it was India's turn to bat. Oh, my goodness. Slow, like slower than than the snail in the air. It took them, listen to this, 113 overs to score 312 for two. So, so slow. Well, I guess considering we're so used to this baseball cricket at the moment in Australia and England. Uh, just to give it to you perspective, Yashashivi Joshawal making his debut. So apologies if I didn't get his name right. Scored 143 no outs and will continue batting. After scoring that 143, he's placed 350 deliveries. And his uh, partner, Rohit Sharma, who generally is not a slow coach, took 221 deliveries to get to his 103. Virat Kohli, who we all know is not a slow coach at all, has faced 96 balls for just 36 runs. West Indies uh, are, well, 
perhaps restricting the Indians, if you like, but not taking any wickets. 312 for two, 113 overs. That is crazy stuff. I know we talk about the uh, cricket between England and Australia as being a bit of a bash. Well, this is just a bit of a bore, don't you think? Anyway, maybe uh, they need to get to five days of television coverage because I can tell you right now, um, watching it, <laughs> there was absolutely nobody. Normally, I say the policeman and his dog had a couple of spectators. Well, I didn't see too many policemen. I didn't see any dogs, to be honest. But on the subject of the Ashes, Australia and England, well, England have retained an unchanged squad for the fourth Ashes test against Australia. That'll be played at Old Trafford from next week, the 19th of July. After losing the first two tests, England did bounce back with a three-wicket win at Headingley. They must win the fourth test in Manchester to keep the series alive ahead of the fifth test at the Oval in London. So they are keeping the squad. And Johnny Bairstow, who's not been that great. Let me be perfectly honest with you. Um, his wicket-keeping compared to that of the Australians, has really been quite poor, to be honest. Anyway, they have decided to keep faith in him. Obviously, they hope his batting skills will continue and find some more form with regards to that series. Okay, so uh, I mentioned Northern and Southern Hemisphere. Well, we've spoken about the rugby in the Southern Hemisphere. There's a little tiny little tennis tournament that's currently on in London, well, in Wimbledon, actually, just outside London. Just a tiny tournament. Yes, I know you're scratching your head thinking, Louis, what on earth are you saying? Well, down to the nitty-gritty. Today, as you all know, we do record this programme, so I can't give you any results. Most probably neither of these games are over yet. Uh, it's a men's semi-final day to see who will play in the final. Sinner will play Novak Kovic and Carlos Alcaraz, who has been, between the two of them, the best players by far, by far, by far, will have to take on Daniel Medvedev. So, what do you think? i tell you what, the Spanish top seed has looked increasingly impressive as he's got further and further into the tournament. But don't bet against Novak Djokovic. Do not bet against Djokovic. He is also in fantastic form. The only thing I think is if these two do get through to the final on Sunday, perhaps... Alcaraz might just have the sympathy of the crowd behind him. Djokovic is pretty controversial, to say the least, and there's been some rather sad uh, moments in this tournament. I never like hearing and or seeing anybody being booed in any sport, to be perfectly honest with you. So he's taken a bit of abuse, has uh, Novak Djokovic. What I can tell you tomorrow is the ladies' final and Ons Jabeur, well... Look, she's got to go into it as the outright favourite um, because the performance that she put up yesterday in her victory over Arena Sabalenka, coming from 4-2 down in the second set and then completely crushing her opponent was quite remarkable. Sabalenka looked on course for victory. Not that Jabeur was playing poorly. It was just that Azarenka was playing out of her skin and all of a sudden, Jabir, somehow, somewhere, unlike her normal performances where she's crumbled under the extreme pressure, she really dug deep yesterday and came out victorious. The other game today was Victoria Azarenka against Marketa Vondrusova. Now, um, Vondrusova unseeded into the 
final. Perhaps her victory helped the organisers not have what could have been a pretty politically charged affair on Centre Court tomorrow afternoon between the Belarusian and the Ukrainian. Um, she did spoil that potential headache with a fantastic result, um, ending Elena Svitolina's dream of delivering a Grand Slam title for Ukraine. 6-3-6-3, Svitolina lost. What a remarkable run. So she was a wild card into the tournament, having given birth to her child six months ago. Three months ago, she started playing tennis again. And wow, what a performance. Of course, if you're interested in the uh, social side of tennis, Gail Monfils is her husband. So there you are. There's a bit of news that she wants to know. So what does that mean? That means that after last year's disappointment, Hans Jumeur gets a second crack at the All England Lawn Tennis and Croquet Club's Wimbledon title. She'll take on the unseeded Marquetta of Vondrusova. However, in the post-match interview, Jabir did mention that she's played her twice this year and lost on both occasions. So, who knows? It is going to be a great final. I think uh, Jabir would most probably go into it as the, 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 the favourite. No, not most probably. I guess she will definitely go into it as the favourite. Remember, of course, Vondrusova is the number 42-ranked player in the world compared to, I think, uh, Jabir is fifth or sixth in the world at the moment. Obviously, the seedings are slightly different normally at Wimbledon, although this year they have decided that the seedings will match the world rankings of the players. So it should be an absolutely crackerjack event, the Wimbledon men's and ladies' finals this weekend. Okay, what else do we have to talk about? Let's tell you what's going on. In the world of golf, Rory McIlroy, uh, he's had a lot to say this week. And uh, he is very, very much anti the Live Golf Tour. The PGA uh, and the Saudi Public Investment Fund have dropped from their framework agreement that barred Live Golf and the Tour from recruiting each other's players. The move comes after the U.S. Department of Justice raised concerns it could violate antitrust laws. Oh, goodness, can't they just sort this out on a golf course and not in a court? Uh, the PGA Tour and the TP World Tour stunningly announced in June that they had agreed to a deal with the Saudi backers of the Rebel Live Golf Circuit. That would see the organization join forces. The agreement is still being finalized and follows a bitter two-year civil war that erupted after the launch of Live Golf, which lured the top PGA talent with record $25 million purses and guaranteed money. The PGA Tour has painted the union as a means of healing the rift in the global game and avoiding lengthy and costly litigation. So there you are. Okay, so what's happening on the golf course? Well, it's Scottish Open at the moment. And uh, it is um, the precursor, of course, to the Open. The uh, British Open, which is arguably the best of them all, that's next week. But right now, the Scottish Open is currently underway. It's always a precursor to uh, to the British Open, and it does give you a kind of an idea um, of what the form of the players are like. Similar, in a weird way, the conditions at the Scottish Open, as it will be in Liverpool for the British Open. But Byung Hun, yep, that is a real name. He shot nine under past 61 yesterday, and he is 
currently the leader at the Scottish Open. Davis Riley of the United States is second at seven under. Thomas Dietrich and Rory McIlroy both shot six under par 64s yesterday. And uh, this, of course, continues on. And then on the American tour, that's the uh, PGA tour, the US PGA tour, it is the Barbasol Championship and Lucas Glover, a name from the past, he leads there going into tonight's second round on nine under par 63. Ryan Armour and Ryan Moore have both shot eight under par 64s. Daniel Brown, Wesley Bryan, Cody Gribble and Andrew Novak are sharing fourth place. They shot 65. The events, of course, going into the tournament ahead of the big one in the, in England, in Liverpool. And uh, that comes up, of course, next week, as I mentioned to you. So, what a weekend it promises to be from the rugby, where the Springboks are in action. There's also, and I'm not going to give you the fixtures, because kind of like, to, you know, who cares really about what happens in friendly matches at the moment? What I can tell you with regards to the Premier League, Ashley Young, remember the former Manchester United player, then with West Ham, he's now gone on a free transfer to Everton. So that's one of the uh, big, big sports stories on within the Premier League at the moment. So Premier League starts a couple of weeks' time, and we will be bringing all of that action to you as well. There's the tennis, the rugby, and, of course, whatever you might be doing over the next 48 hours on the sporting fields of the world. Whether you are watching your little one play under five, under six, under ten, under eight, whatever it might be, or your daughter playing netball, go out there, enjoy it, and just remember to tell your kids be nice to each other. Until next time, Monday, 200th version of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. I wish you a pleasant weekend. Bye for now.